Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And if you want to support the show, please check out our merch store at beyondblathers.square.site and take a look at the animal stickers and postcards we have for sale. Okay, cool. So, on to this week's animal, which is the beautiful sea butterfly. I'm really excited for this one. I've caught like a billion of them. And when I first (laughs) caught one in the game, I was so excited. And now they're kind of like a step above sea bass for me. Like I've just caught so many. I'm I'm not that impressed anymore. (laughs) They've been on your mind anyway. Mm -hmm. Well, as Olivia probably knows, if you bring a sea butterfly to Blathers, he'll say, such mystery, such grace. Did you know that the sea butterfly's scientific name is Thecosomata? A very rough translation of that is shell body. Indeed, this illustrious creature is related to snails. However, it reminds me much more of an elegant feathered friend, the way it flies through the water. With such grace in flying, one shouldn't wonder if it's related to the owl. Hoo hoo. (laughs) I mean, that's... Yeah, that's very accurate. Although I'm, I feel so bad, but this has been a misidentification on Blather's part. It the 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 sea butterfly image that we get in the game is not a sea butterfly. It's actually really? sea angel. Yes, but I will I will talk about that distinction. They're basically like the same thing. I'm just being nitpicky, but they are technically different creatures sort of but yeah the rest of that is very correct (laughs) so but but first of all like what are they I I remember seeing it for the first time in the game and I'd never heard of this thing and so I assumed it was like a nudibranch is that if that's how you pronounce it nudibranch or like a sea slug because it has that sort of gelatinous body form that they all have and so that's what I thought it was and like it's not super far off sea slugs or apilzia are their closest living relatives so they are cousins to the sea butterfly, but sea butterflies themselves are a type of sea snail, uh, more officially known as like a gastropod. So gastropods include snails and slugs both on land and in the water. So uh, Blathers does mention that, like it's got a shell body and it is related to snails, but in fact it is a snail. So when you're thinking of this animal, think of like a small translucent snail, except The cool thing about these snails is instead of like a normal snail foot at the base of the shell, their foot has evolved into like these thin membranous wings that help it float or fly through the water. It kind of looks like Dumbo with like big flappy ears and a clumsy round body. But going back to the misidentification of the sea butterfly, the one you catch in Animal Crossing, you'll notice it's kind of, it looks almost like a glowing apostrophe with wings. Like that's kind of what it looks like to me. I guess it does look like a lot of cartoon angels as well, but mm-hmm. um, I mean, if you search up sea angel, you're going to get pictures, or sea butterfly, you're going to get pictures of sea angels and vice versa. Mm-hmm. But if you look at like websites and things describing the two animals, they are definitely considered to be different things. So they look really different too. Like you're right that the sea, the actual sea butterfly looks so much more like a snail like yeah. it actually looks like it has a little shell and then it just has wings like coming out of the shell whereas the sea angel it looks like the one in animal crossing 
like it doesn't look like it has a shell or anything and it it mm-hmm. looks like a little cat with wings a little cat with wings yeah it does because it's got like little ears mm-hmm. it's very oh, cute i love that so the sea angel is closely related to the sea butterfly. Both sea angels and sea butterflies are the two main parts to a group called the pteropods. Now this is spelt P-T-E-R-O-pods. So not to be confused with theropods with a T-H because those are dinosaurs. <laughs> so they're that very different things. Um, but yeah, so pteropods, when you hear me say pteropods, in this podcast, I am not ca- talking about dinosaurs. <laughs> so PT, Terra means wings. Um, think of like, maybe this isn't helpful. Maybe this is more association with dinosaurs, but like pterodactyl. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, Terra means wings and pod means foot. So their ba- name basically means winged foot because the snail foot has become the wings. So sea angels, scientifically known as gymnosomes, are carnivorous predators that actually prey on the sea butterflies. And as I mentioned before, they've lost their shells. So sometimes they're called naked sea butterflies because they're basically like sea butterflies, but without the shell. So they're naked. Oh my gosh. Scientists need to stop. (laughs) I don't think this is science's fault, though. I think this is like the English common name's fault. It's just... (sighs) It's confusing. So I'm sorry for everyone listening. Let's break it down here. I'm not going to call them by their scientific names because they're kind of confusing. Sea butterflies, as Blather said, are called thecosomes. They're omnivorous and snail looking. So in summary, (laughs) sea angels are like these beautiful creatures without the shells. They eat their cousins for lunch and sea butterflies have a shell. Go, you know, if you haven't, look up sea butterfly on Google Images and you will see images of both. But the one that looks like an actual snail, that those are the real sea yeah. butterflies. Or or those are yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the easiest we can make it, even though I'm sure there's people who are gonna disagree <laughs> no more than we do. But anyway. So apologies for that confusion. I don't blame Animal Crossing or Blathers for also being confused. They are justified. <laughs> so from now on we're gonna talk about like the sea butterflies that still have their shells. Well, we're going to talk about both. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're going to okay. be talking about pteropods, okay? So pteropods is the group that includes both the sea angels and the sea butterflies. So that's what we're talking about today. And okay. I'll, I'll specify which one we're talking about. <laughs> Maybe make okay. a note on your hand so you remember while you're listening. I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll try and make it easier. Okay, so what do... I guess, what do pteropods eat? You said that the sea angels eat sea butterflies. (laughs) But, like, what do sea butterflies eat, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, so this will be a fun game. Yeah, so sea butterflies feed in a really interesting way. They release a mucous membrane, like a sticky net, out into the ocean to capture their food. And it's like the circular Spider-Man net. And they are mostly feeding on marine snow, which is the stuff in the water column that includes like pieces of dead matter, fecal matter, basically anything organic that's drifting to the bottom of the ocean. They'll process this food using like a muscular gizzard, which can crush shells that they might be eating. So they're considered to be omnivorous, meaning that they'll eat sort of plant matter, but also animal matter. And sea angels, on the other hand, when they feed, they 
are eating sea butterflies. And to do so, they extend like these tentacle hook-like appendages from their mouth that can grab onto the sea butterfly prey and suck them out of their shell. So yeah, it's like a little, it's a little spooky. Maybe they're just not so angelic. Yes, I don't think they are. I think they're like kind of, they have like a Doctor Who-y vibe to them. Mm. Like the the weeping angels, if anyone gets that reference. That's the only episode of Doctor Who that I've seen. (laughs) (laughs) It's really good. It's such a scary episode. It is. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, anyway, it's really interesting because the evolution of different species of sea angels and sea butterflies seem to be driven by like an evolutionary arms race because they're very closely tied to each other. Where sea angels like basically keep evolving to be better at eating sea butterflies and sea butterflies will try to adapt ways to avoid being eaten by sea angels. And a really cool adaptation I read about is this group of sea angels, which they sort of just like float around. And when they encounter one of those mucus webs laid out by the sea butterflies, they'll grab onto it or like let themselves get stuck onto it. And the sea butterfly will pull it up and then the sea angel will eat it. (laughs) So it'll just be like, oh, I've got some food. And then it's a predator (laughs) so I just thought that was interesting it's kind of like if you went fishing and you pulled up a shark and then the shark ate you so yeah interesting adaptation (laughs) wow so where can you find sea butterflies and sea angels like are they everywhere yeah, they they kind of seem like they're all over the place. They're a common part of zooplankton communities, uh, and they'll hang out in the open water column, particularly near the surface. But they will migrate up and down through the water column. You tend to find fewer of them the further down you go. And one paper I found found them as deep as 2,000 meters, which is the midnight zone of the ocean. So you're getting to that point where light is barely reaching. But in general, they definitely like to hang out closer to the surface. Wow. And... So you mentioned like zooplankton communities. Does that mean that they're really tiny? Yeah, they can be millimeters long to the size of an orange. So they definitely vary. It seems like most of them are pretty small. But yeah, they, they can get pretty big. And a fun fact about them that I read is that when they're born, they're born as males. And as they grow, they become females. And it's thought that they do this because if the females are bigger, they can carry more eggs, which is just a very interesting fact. And apparently the mating process with sea angels is really pretty because they'll like swirl around each other in like this translucent dance. And if you see a picture of them, they are indeed very pretty, like ethereal animals. So anyway, apparently that's very pretty to see. Mm. And then after the eggs are laid and the sea angels hatch, they actually live in their shells for a bit. So we mentioned before that they're like naked. They don't have a shell. They do when they're first born. And then they undergo a metamorphosis, kind of like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. And then they drop their shell and emerge as an adult. So more confusion. (laughs) They have this sort of like butterfly-like metamorphosis, but they are called sea angels, not sea butterflies. (laughs) Oh my God. I know. (laughs) That's the central theme of this episode is just what (laughs) why are names the way they are (laughs) so speaking of the actual wings how do they work like are they actually like wings or are they fins or yeah it's kind of amazing because a lot of zooplankton have sort of like paddle-like structures to get around but sea butterflies or sorry I should say 
pteropods because it's both of them. They've been found to fly in much the same way as fruit flies. So they use this like figure eight pattern stroke to help them glide through the water. And this pattern generates both lift and thrust, the two things needed for flight. Then when they stay still, they stop flapping their wings and they become like neutrally buoyant, which allows them to hold their position. And if they need to suddenly drop, they can do this too by like sucking themselves into their shell and sinking down in the case of the, the sea butterflies. And this comes in handy when avoiding predators. So they have a few ways of locomoting, but the, the flying motion, I guess I keep calling it flying. Technically it's swimming, but really just the movement through a fluid is very much like a flight motion. Oh, so you mentioned that they're doing this to like avoid predators. What predators do they have? A lot of predators. <laughs> like pretty much anything, like many, many fish will eat them including things like salmon, herring, mackerel. So lots of like commercially important fish, which will come into play when we talk about conservation later. But also things like whales and sharks will also eat them. So they mm-hmm. are very important to the food web. They, as zoo, like a type of zooplankton, they are very present in the ecosystem dynamics that they live in. Do they do anything else to avoid predation if they're being hunted by so many different things (laughs) yeah there's a a group in antarctica that produce like a very sour deterrent which dissuades fish from eating them and it's so effective this is crazy to me this is so effective that they have this there's this little crustacean like a mini shrimp that's figured out that if it like kidnaps one of these pteropods and like puts it on its back it'll have a built-in fish repellent (laughs) wow and unfortunately the pteropod like starves to death because it's being helplessly carried around on the back of a shrimp but it's very handy for the shrimp that's crazy i've never heard of like animals kidnapping each other (laughs) they're like ah useful i'm just gonna carry you around like a what are those like off clip on off mosquito yeah (laughs) it's like bear spray or something yeah bear spray (laughs) poor poor pteropod well how are they doing in the wild then? It sounds like a lot of things eat them. Yeah, they're not doing well, and it's not because of predation. So the shells of sea butterflies are really, really fragile to the point where it's actually quite hard to harvest them without damaging their shells. And what's happening right now is that as more carbon dioxide is being released into the atmosphere, that's getting taken up by our oceans. And when water and carbon dioxide mix, they form carbonic acid. So right now, the ocean chemistry is changing in a process called ocean acidification. And this has this whole slew of effects on the ocean. But for pteropods, more acidic waters break down the calcium carbonate their shells are made out of. So it makes their shells very weak and they can break. And of course, that spells pretty much doom for those pteropods. So they're often referred to as like these canaries in the coal mine because they indicate whether their habitat is experiencing acidification. Now you might think, okay, well, maybe the sea butterflies, which have shells, will be affected by this, but at least the sea angels will be okay. But unfortunately, because the sea angels only prey on sea butterflies, the acidification of the ocean will also likely negatively affect the entire pteropod group. And this is really concerning because 
you know, you're going to get a die off of these animals very likely as the ocean continues to acidify. And they make up a really important part of their ecosystem for many reasons. As I mentioned before, lots of stuff is eating them, but they also are a really important part of the nutrient cycle. So when they migrate up and down the water column, they're transferring carbon and their shells are also really important as a source of nutrients. So pteropod shells are made up of a unique kind of calcium carbonate called argonite. And that's inorganic. So when they die, their shell floats to the deep ocean, or I guess sinks. <laughs> it sinks down to the deep <laughs> ocean and it brings that inorganic carbon to the bottom of the ocean. And that's just really important for many functions in the ecosystem that are too complicated to explain. But yeah, it's basically just ensuring that there's nutrient cycle happening in those ecosystems. And apparently also arcanite production by pteropods may make up at least 12% of the total carbonate flux worldwide. So I just think that's crazy. Like that's a huge amount of nutrients that pteropods are responsible for. So I just thought that was an interesting fact. I mean, for those who like maybe aren't super familiar with nutrient cycling, that might not seem that important um, because it is kind of like a weird science to explain and I don't fully understand it beyond like, I guess, recycling. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it is super important. But I guess the easier thing to understand is like, they're such an important part of the food chain. You know, everything from commercially important fish like herring, mackerel and salmon are eating them. And for juvenile salmon in some parts of the world, they're used to having 10 to 15 percent of their diet be pteropods. So if the pteropod suddenly disappeared, those fish are going to have a really big problem and they aren't necessarily going to be able to just like replace that food source quickly. So, I mean, we've talked about salmon before. (laughs) They're not doing great. So anything that affects salmon is definitely going to be a big problem for many other animals, including us. And even when pteropods are able to mend their shells, they get quite stressed as they do so. And when they get stressed, they're releasing molecules that decompose the fats in their body, which means that they aren't going to be that nutritious to a fish when they eat it. So even the ones that aren't necessarily dying, they just aren't going to be as fatty as like a healthy pteropod. I didn't realize that they're so prolific, like that they would make up that much of the diet of all these fish and that they would make up so much of the carbonate nutrient cycling. Like they must be everywhere (laughs) to do that. I had no idea. And it's, it's so crazy. Like, I mean, we've heard of zooplankton, but I mean, these just seem like such unique creatures. It's strange to me that like you don't hear about them more often. Yeah. When we're talking about just oceans in general. So yeah, very interesting. And what I really liked about reading about pteropod research is that there's a lot of people looking into their paleontological history. So we know that pteropods came about likely around the Cretaceous period. And so that means that they survived a very turbulent time in Earth's climatic history, the Paleocene-Eocene Thermal Maximum, which is also known as the PETM. And the PETM is the closest analog to ocean acidification and warming that we're seeing today. So it's kind of like a good place to look back and go, okay, well, this is what happened back then. What can Mm. we expect today? So at the time, there was like five to eight degrees of warming across the globe. And that caused massive ocean acidification, deoxygenation of the oceans, and the movement of nutrients in the oceans got all like messed up. And this happened over like reasonably long period, I believe. So, you know, it's 
an analog, but also things are happening so quickly right now that it's not exactly, it's not a perfect analog. But by getting an understanding of what group survived that global change, we get a better understanding of how ocean acidification might affect the populations and diversity of pteropods. But yeah, it's it's interesting because like, we know some pteropods survived, but we don't know which ones didn't. And we don't know maybe what the diversity was before the PTM. So yeah, very interesting research going on there looking at these very small creatures that conveniently had shells that can fossilize and and can be like found. But overall, pteropods, in summary, are really important nutrient cyclers for their ecosystem. They're food for so many animals and, you know, ultimately us because they feed many of the things we eat. And they're indicators of ecosystem health. So even though they're really small, they are extremely important. And I, I think we talk a lot about you know, saving like really big animals like whales, which is so important. But sometimes these little things that are super crucial can get overlooked in sort of popular media. So I I like to talk about them. And I think it's kind of neat. I didn't expect this episode when researching it to be, I didn't expect this animal to be so important, I guess. I, yeah, Yeah. I was just very surprised. Totally. I, I think the idea of ecosystems collapsing from the bottom is so scary and, these are canaries in the coal mine, like you said. So I definitely learned a lot. Uh, yeah, I feel like when we just talk about sort of zooplankton, you just don't even think about anything. Yeah, you just think of like dots in the water. Yeah, things floating around. But it's like, no, these are like, these are real animals that have interesting adaptations and like little lives. So yeah. Well, also, like, I think there's the idea that like, I don't think I, and to this day, I don't think I really understand, like, what plankton consists of. Like, I always thought they were, like, a group of animals, but they are many groups of animals performing similar functions of, like, being small things in the water. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I need to do some research on what exactly a zooplankton is, because I'm, I'm pretty unclear on that. You can tell I haven't had a, any ocean education in Alberta. <laughs> yeah. I just think of plankton from spongebob SpongeBob. if he had wings he might look like (laughs) a little sea angel i like that image well thank you so much olivia that was really great and thanks everyone for listening if you're a new listener please leave us a rating and review we'd really really appreciate it and don't forget to subscribe if you want to stay up to date make sure to follow us on twitter and instagram at beyond blathers and feel free to message us anytime if you have a suggestion for an animal you'd like to see us cover Yeah, definitely. We always like to get suggestions. So tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye! Bye!